What up, Soul Company? How you guys doing? I'll try that again. What up, Soul Company? How you doing? You guys can take a seat. I needed that one. That was good. Okay. All right. Let's see if we're centered here. Wow. Good to be back with you guys. Feels like it was a long break. It was just a week. Okay. Uh, real quick, though, did you guys notice Terry's sweatshirt? Like, is that not literally the best sweatshirt you've ever seen in your entire life? Crooked T. Come on. Terry's incredible. <clears throat> I want to be like Terry so bad. He loves life. Anyways, uh, wanted to give another quick shout out for, actually, Leo is here, but he's not leading worship. And you're like, why are we shouting that out? We're shouting that out because he has a heart for raising up worship leaders for the next generation. So we just want to honor Leo, honor the worship team. Crit and Ellie are like an incredible dynamic duo. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, wow, okay. They're awesome. So anyways, all right, I've been really loud to start, so I'll tone it down a little bit. Uh, my name is Tony. I'm on staff with the Salt Company. I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. We are continuing our series called Lineage. Very cool graphic. Didn't make it. Fantastic. Uh, and tonight we're going to be studying the person of Joseph. And the series has been looking through the genealogy and heritage of Jesus in Matthew 1 and studying about a person that actually points to Christ from the Old Testament. So we're really excited to do that again. I do this every week. If you're new here to Salt Company, thanks for being here. We actually recognize that this might not be a place that you would call home, and we just want to let you know that we're pumped for you to be here and excited for you to be here. And so pray that this would be a home for you. And in a moment, I'm going to pray as we enter into the sermon. But uh, before I do that, I actually just wanted to, like, this is not prepped, it's like not in my sermon. But I just felt like the Spirit was telling me to, to tell you guys this, that uh, this week I've just felt like pretty distant and dry in my relationship with Jesus. And I was actually sitting on, in a basement under this place. And uh, I like, had my, like, the lights off, and I was, like, in the lab, you know, working on the sermon. And Chris, one of the pastors vertical, walked in. And he's like, dude, you want the lights on? I was like, no. And I was like, I'm not going to lie, this has been hard. And so we just got to, like, bro out, and it was amazing. And uh, we actually just got on our knees, and he took out his guitar, and we started to worship. And I just, like, started, like, started to tear up because I was like, man, like, this is what I love about following Jesus. Like, I love this. I love Thursday nights. I love you guys. Don't get me wrong. But following Jesus on my knees in desperation towards him, to just ask him to remind me of who I am in him, and to draw me near to him again, like, it was just, like, so good. And so that's what I'm about to do in a moment. I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to pray for us. That if you're here, and you're kind of like, man, my, my relationship with God, my, my walk with Jesus has been distant and dry. Like, first of all, you have a friend in me, so you're not alone. But also, Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. And his heart for you is actually to know him and to flourish. I love what Rachel said, like flourish in his creation by his hands. So let me pray as we enter into the sermon together. Yeah, Lord, it's a sweet thing that the first two songs that we sang were about fighting on our knees. And um, yeah, Lord, it's just been, it's been hard to feel distant and dry. It's been hard to feel disappointed in myself. It's been hard to feel absent from your presence. And yes, Spirit, I can just, I know that there's people in this room that feel that way, that feel like their walk with you is dead, that feel like there's nothing there, or maybe they're here tonight walking in with immense pain and immense struggle, and they wouldn't tell anyone else, but they're actually questioning whether or not they want to follow you. They're here holding burdens that they cannot themselves carry. So, Lord, I love what Rach said, and I want to repeat that. With, with the distractions of the pain of this life fall to the background, and would you become beautiful tonight, Lord? 
I want to fall more in love with you, Jesus. I want to be made known like you. I want to know you deeply tonight. This is not just another night to come here to sing a few songs, to hear some teaching, and to leave. I pray that tonight, Jesus, there would be supernatural encounter in this place. That your spirit would be heavy, that hearts would be changed, and all of us would be indexed towards you. Jesus, I want to know you like that. And I'm sorry for the distance and the dryness. I know that's not your heart, that's mine. So change me, Lord. Make me see the beauty in your text. And we pray. Amen. Also, I don't know, this is super cute, but the front row holds hands while we pray. It's amazing. We'll say you guys are so cute. Anyways, um, they're actually like they're grown men, but they're very cute. Okay. I don't, know how to re- I don't know how to rebound from that, so I'm sorry, David. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> like really large dudes. Okay. Um, that is not, I don't know how to get back. So anyways, I went on a spring break trip. That was fun. <laughs> so guys, just help me. Okay, help me get back. Um, went on a spring break trip. I don't get spring breaks, but I have PTO, so it was pretty exciting. And I went to NYC, New York. Whoa, so fun. My wife and I went. It was incredible. Uh, we flew out to New York, went there. So now, now that I've actually been there, I feel like I have some fun tips, fun facts for you guys. Fact number one, did you know that New York City is redonkey-tonk expensive? You guys are like, wow, is that an actual financial figure? Absolutely it is. It is ridiculous. We got one slice of cheesecake, couldn't afford two. It was like $9.85 for one slice. You're like, are you kidding me? Okay, that's one. The second fact is you can actually see famous people in New York City. I heard about that, and then I did, okay? So guess who I saw? Guess, okay, don't actually guess because there's a lot of famous people. Hugh Jackman. Oh, I know. I was walking down the sidewalk trying to get another slice of pizza, and this woman is like, is that the Wolverine? And I was like, Hugh? And it was actually Hugh Jackman. Like, I have a video of him on my phone. I'm not even kidding. He has such a nice jawline. Like, that's the first thing I noticed. I was like, wow, you're like a really attractive dude. I get it. Um, so that was, that's another fun fact. <laughs> this is a rough start. Anyways, and... The, the third thing I noticed is that the pizza is so good, and I thought it was kind of hyped up, but then I went there, and it was really, really good. The only problem is I'm, like, pretty lactose intolerant. Are you guys, are you guys lactose intolerant? And there's, like, so much cheese on the pizza, so it's great for me, tough for my wife. I mean, it was just tough, different levels. I'm actually on a diet now. I hate so much of it. Anyways, the pizza's great. So those are a couple of fun facts about New York City. The Hugh Jackman one, wow, that was, that's surprising. Okay. Um, but our highlight of our trip, okay, our highlight of our trip, why am I talking about New York City? I always start every sermon like this. You get it? Okay, it's fine. What? <laughs> Did something break up there? <laughs> like, I was like, anyways, so the highlight of our trip, a little distracted today. I prayed against this. Okay. So I'm just going to let this one die down. I just feel like it's keep going. All right. So anyways, the highlight of our trip is that my wife and I went to a Michael Jackson musical on Broadway. And it was incredible. But there's actually one moment that really, really stuck out to me. This is where the sermon gets serious. You guys get it. You know, it's the flow of the night. There's this moment moment where uh, there was a little baby MJ who was like five to six years old, had a beautiful afro, and was talking to his dad. And he was talking to his dad, and he's like, hey, dad, I just, I don't know if I can tour anymore. I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life. And it was actually this really dark moment where MJ's dad physically abused him and hit him. And he said these words that really stuck with me. He said, life's going to hit you a lot harder than that. And that stuck with me for two reasons. One is because that's incredibly sad. But two is because that's actually true. 
the pain of this life is actually that hard. And even as you look at MJ's story throughout his life, life actually did hit him a lot harder than that. And see, there's pain in this life that, that no amount of like motivational speeches, no amount of self-help books, no amount of podcasts that you listen to can drown out the noise of the pain of this life. And I know that for every single one of us, there's something in your life that has gone astronomically wrong. Something that cannot be described by just happenstance or coincidence. And you're asking yourself the question, why is there so much suffering in this world? I think one of the questions that a lot of us have struggled with and I've struggled with my whole life is, if God is good, why is there so much suffering in this world? If God is good, why is there so much suffering in this world? So I'll come to you. My goal tonight isn't to sidestep suffering. It's not to kind of go around it. My goal is to go straight into it and to show you that there's actually hope in the midst of our pain. There's hope in the midst of our suffering. And by God's grace, my prayer for all of us is that we would gain a new hope, a new perspective on the past sufferings of our life and gain a perspective moving forward that God's providential plan is working all things for the good of his people and that you would gain a new fresh eyes on the pain of your story. The essence of tonight is how to hold on to hope in the midst of pain. Open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Pretty easy to find. Genesis chapter 50. After, chapter 50, okay. As we open there, uh, the sermon is going to be structured a little bit differently. If you've been coming to Saul Company for some time, you know that we like to kind of pick a passage and work through it like that, right? But to do Joseph's story justice, I believe that we have to look at the total narrative of Joseph's life. From Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 50, 13 chapters of the Bible that describe the providence of God in Joseph's story. And so tonight, we're going to do a flyover. We're going to look at themes that I believe the Bible, biblical author wanted us to know. And by God's grace, my prayer is that the themes of Joseph's story would actually land in your story. And you would gain a new perspective on the pain of your life. Look with me to Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 to 21. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So a paraphrase of verse 20 would be what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now this is like a beautiful concept, right? Like when you're doing well, you're like, okay, whatever. Everything is working for my good. But what about when your life is full of suffering? What about when your life is full of pain? What about when the question in your mind is this is so painful, I do not believe that God is good. What happens when the pain is so hard that it's hard to hope? In fact, Joseph's story is like that. Joseph's story is a story of radical pain. So I'll come here. This is going to be a pretty heavy message tonight. Let me just give you a heads up. You guys have kind of already got that feel. It's kind of about pain and suffering. But this is a story of a man who was sold into slavery at a young age. This is a real story of a real man who was sold into slavery as a young age, who was imprisoned unjustly, and who experienced a radical amount of suffering in his life. Yet maybe the craziest thing about Joseph's story wasn't the imprisonment or the slavery, but it was the fact that he held on to hope in the midst of all of that pain. And so that's my question for us tonight, is how do you hold on to hope? 
when the, th- when the things that you experience, when the pain of this life is so heavy and is so hard, how do you hold on to hope and believe that God is good when you get enslaved? How do you hold on to hope and believe that God is good when you get in, uh, imprisoned unjustly? How do you believe when everything in you screams that God is not good if this suffering is real? Joseph was able to believe and have hope in the midst of his pain because of three things. The promise of God, the presence of God, and the provision of God. Okay, it's alliteration, all right? Kind of cheesy, but it's memorable, okay? Promise, presence, provision. Thank you. We're going to do that one time. Promise. Wow, okay. Good recollection for about 30 seconds. So hopefully that sticks with you more than tomorrow. Anyways. The promise, the presence, the provision. Let's begin at act number one, the promise of God. Look with me to Genesis 37, 5 through 8, okay? You're going to have to flip through a lot of different passages. If you're actually looking at your Bible, which is great. If you're looking at an app, you can look it up a little bit quicker. Genesis 37, 5 through 8, as we look at the promise of God. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, We were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Are you guys proud of me for not getting a loud cup? Anyways, you should be because it's been rough for us. All right, so admittedly, the Bible is a little bit weird. I'll just be completely honest. I had no idea what a sheave was. So let me just give you some definitions, tell you exactly what this dream meant, and then hopefully try to interpret it for you, okay? So a sheave is like bundled hay, okay? Like Iowa stuff, you know? Like not stuff we have here, like real Iowa stuff. I just wanted to make fun of Iowa because Rachel's always like, it's the greatest state in the union. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Nothing's from Iowa. It's a bunch of dead corn, okay? Or sheaves. So anyways, there's a bunch of sheaves, right? And imagine it like a Pixar animation. Joseph sheaves like straight up. You know, it's got like legs on it. It's kind of living its life. And then 11 other sheaves are like bowing down to Joseph's sheave. Okay. Keep using the sheave. It could be hay, right? Here's what God was promising Joseph. That there would come a day when Joseph would see his 11 brothers bow down to him. Two things. One, if you get this vision for God, don't tell the other sheaves, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, don't tell them their future. Like, just, like, let it ride out a little bit bad socially. But the second thing that I noticed about this promise was actually how beautiful it was. Now, at first glance, it's about a bunch of sheaves and hay. But at second glance, it's about God doing what he's always done throughout the biblical narrative, and that is to subvert social norms and to uphold or uphinge power structures of the day. See, here's something that's really, really beautiful. If you actually read the entire biblical story, you can see that God constantly chooses the outsider, not the popular. He chooses the powerless, not the powerful. He chooses the weak, not the strong. And Joseph in this story is the youngest of 11 brothers. That was a hierarchical society. The oldest brother was supposed to get all this stuff, and yet here's what God does. He gives Joseph a promise that Joseph could knew wasn't about his qualification, but actually about God's grace. That's the beauty of God's promises, is none of it lies on our ability, but all on his provision and his grace. God has been subverting social norms for the longest time. It's been thousands of years, and he's still doing it today, using the weak and and powerless 
to shame the strong. But the second thing that I notice about this promise is the chronological kindness of this promise. Okay? Here's what God does. God gives Joseph the, pain, the promise before the pain. He gives him the promise before the pain. And my question is, why would God do that? Why would God give him the promise before the pain? It's because he knew that in moments of deep pain, that Joseph would begin to ask the question, is God good in the midst of my suffering? Is God good in the midst of my pain? And so what God wanted to do was to give Joseph a promise, a promise that God would eventually come through, that at some point in his life, all of his brothers would bow to him, and it's a promise that's actually way cooler than that. We'll get to the end. It's not just about bowing sheaves. It's about, like, the salvation of all the people of Israel in the Messianic line. Anyways, it's cool, okay? Just trust me. But God wanted to give Joseph a promise that he would be with Joseph all the way to the end. And Saul coming, here's what God does for you. He also knows that in moments of pain, you will question his goodness. And so he gives you promises to cling to in the midst of your pain. And so I want to give you a couple promises that I think might be helpful. I have to find my spot because I was like a while ago in my notes. Okay, let's see. Okay, promise number one. When you feel abandoned by those who you love, when you feel like your trust structures are broken down and you don't actually know if you can love anymore, here's what God says to you in Deuteronomy 31 verse 8. This is so good, so good. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord of life itself goes before you. Which means even when you feel like your trust structures are broken, even when you feel like you can't love anymore, the God of the universe is with you. He goes before you and he will never leave you or forsake you. That's what's true about your love. The second promise that I have for you is when you feel like your sin disqualifies you from being near to God. When you walk with the heaviness of shame and guilt of your past, even what you did last night, here's what Hebrews 4.16 has to say to you. This is stinking awesome. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Okay, here's the good news of the gospel. Because you weren't saved by your performance anyways, your disqualifying performances don't actually disqualify you. Because you weren't saved by your righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness, you can draw near to the throne of grace because, because the one who sits on that throne has already forgiven you. You can draw near even tonight. And I think there are some of you in this room that are probably like, man, I, I, I like struggle to come to Saul Company because I don't want God to know all the stuff that I've been doing in my free time. I don't want God to know the porn that I watch every single night before bed. I don't want God or the other people in my life to know that the internal clockwork of my soul is self-righteousness and legalism versus grace and the gospel. But here's what Jesus would want to say to you. Draw near to the throne of grace tonight. Just trust him. He's on that throne. You can come near. And the one that's probably hit me the most, and, and I wanted to talk about this because I think this is really, really important. If you're here and you've grown up with shame around the color of your skin or the shape of your body. Hear God say to you in Genesis 1, like literally the first chapter of the entire Bible, all the way through Revelation, but also in Genesis 1, that you are made in the image of God. Have you like stopped to think about that recently? Like you are made in the image of God. And Saul Company, let me ask you a question. Does God make mistakes? Does he make mistakes? No. He is a perfect designer, creator God. Which means the color of your skin and the shape of your body are a gift from God for your good. And I know that can be really hard to believe at times as you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. But trust God that the creator of the universe wanted your good for you. Amen?
Okay, those are the promises. And here's why God gives us promises. It's because he understands that life is too painful for us to not live with the promises of God in mind. See, here's what's true about Joseph's life. From this point on forward, the pain would come after the promise. And there would be major pain in his life. See, he would have to cling on to the promises of God because the ones who he loved the most, his own brothers, would abandon Joseph. See, later in Genesis 37, this is what happens to Joseph. He was a 17-year-old boy. Imagine you're 17 years old and this is what happens to you. His own brothers, his own kin, it strips him of his clothes, throws him in a pit, abandoned to die. Led by his older brother Judah. And then instead of killing him, because that would be a waste, they sell him into slavery. See, the Bible is not a hypothetical. The Bible is not a feel-good story. The Bible, I don't even know how this is a childhood story. Like, I don't know how they do that. Because the Bible addresses the most painful things that have happened in our history. Because the heroes of the Bible have actually experienced some of those things. And later on, you'll see that God himself experienced some of those things. This is the beauty of the Bible. The Bible does not sidestep suffering. It hits it right on. And it shows that God is with those people in their suffering. I want to pause here and ask you to lean in. This might sound weird, but it's actually not for me. It's because I want to actually honor the saints of the past that would have heard this story in oral tradition and would have clung to it so tightly. And what I mean by that is the slaves in in the transatlantic slave trade here in our country. See, the Negro spirituals had this unbelievable commitment to hope. They would hear through oral tradition stories of God being with Joseph, promising Joseph, being in the presence of Joseph, and providing for Joseph. And they would hear stories like this, and they would say, God is good in the midst of my suffering. God is good, and freedom will come, because God has promised that even if it's not in this life, one day freedom will come. And so my ask for you is to lean in and respect the saints who have gone before us that saw this story as it is. The radical provision of God and the moments of brokenness and the painful life that we live in. See this story in the right light. And my prayer for you is that if you would, that God would actually begin in his providence to transform the pain in your heart. And you would see that he is with you in your suffering and that his promises are true. Act two of this story is the presence of God. Look with me to Genesis 39, 21 through 22. But the Lord was with Joseph, this is so good, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And when the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Okay, I don't have time to go through all of this narrative, but over and over and over again, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. This is so stinking beautiful because this is what God was trying to show Joseph. That even when everyone else left him, that God never would. And the context that we find Joseph in is a really, really sad context, actually. And this is the story, the next chapter of Joseph's story, and that is unjust imprisonment. See, what ended up happening to Joseph is that he was sold to slavers that would take him into Egypt and would sell him to a man named Potiphar. And a man named Potiphar was actually an officer of the Pharaoh. And in Potiphar's house was Potiphar's wife. And here's what ended up happening to Joseph. 
Joseph was being faithful to the Lord because he saw the promises of God. And even when he couldn't see exactly what God was doing, he believed in the promises. He had hope in the midst of a painful life. So he was faithful. But then Potiphar's wife aims to make a move at him. She tries to induce him to bring him into the bed. But here's what Joseph does. He refused her lust to live a life of faithfulness to God. That could be a whole other sermon. Like we could preach that next week. You know what I'm saying? We won't. But it could. He refused her lust to live a life of faithfulness to God. And in his righteous doing, Potiphar's wife twisted the story and told Potiphar it was actually Joseph who tried to pursue her. So here's what Potiphar does. He throws Joseph back into prison. An unjust incarceration. A broken world. But what I love about God is once he gives you his promise, he's also with you in the interim between the promise and the provision. And so here's what God says in verse 21. you got to hold on to this one, like pocket it. You know what I mean? Like take it with you everywhere you go. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love. It's like God was telling Joseph, man, keep going. I am with you in the pain. I am with you in the pit. And I will be with you in prison. See, here's what God was teaching Joseph. That the suffering and pain in this life will come, but sometimes what we need more than immediate deliverance from the pain is actually presence in the pain. And I think that might be something that God is teaching some of you in this room tonight. That what you might be asking him for is deliverance from the pain, but maybe he's actually trying to show you that his presence is with you in the pain. You get what I'm saying? See, I think what God might be teaching Joseph and what God might be teaching us is that the presence-filled life is better than a comfortable life. So when I was in college, um, I was really struggling with a lot of different things. Like, my life was complete disarray. But the thing that I was struggling with the most was actually my relationship with my father. I think there's some of you in this room who can kind of relate to some of this. But I remember seasons of my life. This is a really bad idea. Don't actually do what I'm about to say. But I'd go to downtown Minneapolis, I would leave my phone in the car, and I would prayer walk at like midnight. Just because it's, I would talk out loud, everyone else on the street would talk out loud, it was kind of a thing. You get it, it's like you blend in. Um, anyways, that's like a pity thing. Anyways, but anyways, so I would go prayer walk, and, and I remember begging God that he would take away the pain. That he would heal me of my deepest wounds. That the lacerations on my soul from the trauma of my father would be taken away. And I would just be weeping at times. At like literally one in the morning. Me and all the, all the people. And it, it's supposed to be like an intense moment. But then I said that. So that's a mistake. But here's what I learned actually. In those midnight prayer walks with God. That maybe what God wanted for me. I know this now. Was to actually begin to learn what it looks like to be in his presence. See, I think all of us have an inclination to get out of the pain, to get in comfort, to kind of make or index our lives to its comfort. Any pain, not good, right? Any struggle, not good. But maybe what God is trying to teach you in the pain is that his presence is better than pain deliverance. His presence is better than comfort. And man, I just like, I remember those days. And honestly, I miss those days because it was in those days I felt the intimacy of Jesus in a supernatural way. I felt him so near to me, and I felt like he was teaching me, Tony, 
What I want you to do is live a presence-filled life, not a pain-free life. I think for some of you in this room, you need to hear that. Because maybe all that you've been asking God for in the last couple years of your life is pain deliverance. And maybe what you need to be asking him for is his presence. And just as God was with Joseph, so he will be with you. Lean into Jesus. Not only was God with Joseph, but he came through for Joseph. Look with me to the provision of God in Genesis 41, 38 through 40. And Pharaoh said to his servants, sweaty hand, you know. <laughs> Anyways, you guys are all like looking at your Bibles. Why would I make that joke? Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Okay, think about the storyline of Joseph. This is wild. You need to read Genesis 37 through 50 because there are like twists and turns, okay? Joseph starts as a 17-year-old kid, thrown into a pit, left to die, sold to slavers, imprisoned unjustly, and then by God's miraculous grace and his provision of the promise, he now becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Crazy, right? Absolutely beautiful. And here's how that happened. In summary... I'm going to run through this really, really quick so you get some context so I'm not just, like, saying things. God interprets the dreams of two officials of Pharaoh while Joseph was in prison. And one of them lived to tell Pharaoh of Joseph. Now, to be fair, he waited two years longer than Joseph asked him to, so that's kind of another story. But he did. And then Pharaoh had these really, really scary dreams that didn't make sense. So basically, it was about famine. And he didn't know what to think about it, so then he gets Joseph. And Joseph tells him that it's actually about famine by God. And then Pharaoh responds in verse 38 to the interpretation by, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? So in response to seeing the spirit in Joseph, he makes Joseph the second most powerful man in Egypt. But here's the point of this process, passage. It's not just about Joseph's kind of ascension from the depravity of his life. But here's the point of Joseph's story the whole biblical story and your story, that God came through. Through all of the pain, through all of the suffering, the slavery, the imprisonment, God provided for Joseph. And here's what I need you to know tonight. That through every moment of pain you've ever been through, through every laceration on your soul, through every moment you wish that you wouldn't have to remember anymore, God will come through. So I'll come in. The way he comes through might not be the way that you want him to come through or the timing in which you want him to come through, but God will come through. And here's why I know that for a fact. That if you are in Christ, the greatest problem of your entire life, God has already come through. Amen? He has saved you from the depravity and death of sin. If he came through for your salvation, will he not come through for lesser things? If he came through for your soul, will he not come through for everything else? This is a God that has proven that he was willing to come through by solving your deepest problem and your greatest need. This is a God of provision. So here's my ask for you. Is don't give up on God because God will never give up on you. And hold tight to the promises of God. Experience the presence of God and look forward to the provision of God. Because in this life or the next Every question you ever ask will be answered in the blood of Jesus.
Every painful moment that you've ever had will be wiped away by his hands. There will be salvation from every broken part of your life. Last point here. There's a final P in the alliteration. I had to do it, okay? The promise, the presence, provision are all big arrows pointing to the providence of God. Look with me to Genesis 45, 4 through 8. We're closing in here. We've just traveled through so many chapters of the Bible. This has been fantastic. Enjoy this. Verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these last two years, and there will be yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it's not you who sent me here, but God. Let me repeat that, okay? In the context of the story, verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler over the land of Egypt. Okay, so the context is that famine has now struck the land, and Joseph has interpreted for Pharaoh's dreams. I know this is a long narrative, but I feel like I've got to do it justice, okay? And because the famine had struck the land, the same brothers who sold Joseph into slavery find themselves at the feet of Joseph. Okay, what does that sound like? Remember the sheaves? One standing sheep, all the other bowing sheaves. God came through on his promises, but what I want you to see here is it wasn't actually for Joseph. It was actually for the brothers. Isn't that kind of crazy? Like you would think in that promise, it's for Joseph. But actually what God was doing here was orchestrating a providential plan, which basically means the sovereignty of God worked out for your good. From the slavery of Joseph to the imprisonment of Joseph, now to the palace of Pharaoh. He was working all that for actually the brothers' good. Because here's the problem with the brothers right now is there is a famine in the land and the brothers are in Israel. Israel's camp, and they have no food. So the choice now is either starve and die or go to Egypt and ask for food. When they went to Egypt, guess who they found? Joseph. That is a crazy twist in the story. But here's what God was doing. This is the meta narrative of this story. You got to understand that this is so cool. God picked the weak, Joseph, and gave him a promise that one day his, the other sheaves would bow down to him but in so doing here's what God did through Joseph he saved the entire family line of Israel guess who stands in that line Jesus Christ get this okay this is wild this is the province of God if Joseph was not put into that pit in Genesis 37 we wouldn't have the rest of the Bible if Joseph would have been killed instead of sold we wouldn't have the rest of the Bible If that would have happened, then none of us would be here today worshiping a Jesus that wouldn't have been able to come through the lineage of the line. Do you see the beauty of this story? God has been writing a providential, redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation. And the reason why we're here today is because every moment in Joseph's story mattered. See, what God is trying to teach Joseph and what God is trying to teach us is that all of your pain has ultimate purpose. All of your pain has purpose. See, the point of the story 
is not that his brothers sent him into slavery, but that God sent him through suffering. But that suffering did not produce just pain, it produced life. It produced salvation for his own family. This has got to be one of the coolest narratives of the entire Bible. Like, come on, meta-narrative, oh my gosh, amazing. So here's my hope for you tonight. Is that all of us would see by the Spirit during worship that every single moment of pain of your life mattered. And as God was writing a story in Joseph's life from the slavery to the prison to the palace, that God too is writing a story in your life. And every moment of every painful moment matters. And you can trust that. Because this story is not just about Joseph. It's actually about a future better and truer Joseph. We're going to be closing here so I can call the worship band back up. But the ultimate point of the story, this is, bro, I'm, I'm going to do this every week as we do lineage because it's like kind of the point of the series. This is so cool. Okay. The point of the story is not just that you hold on to hope in the midst of your pain. But the point of this story is that there would be a future Joseph, a better and truer Joseph. Let me, let me show you how. Joseph descended into the pit, was abandoned to death, but was sold and rose to the right hand of Pharaoh. What happened to Jesus? He descended into the pit of death and rose to the right hand of God. Through Joseph's place of power in the palace, Joseph brings salvation to his family through his suffering. What did Jesus do? Through the sitting at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ brings salvation to us through his suffering. See, Saul Company, I want you to see that Christianity is the singular world religion. This is awesome. Where it claims that God himself suffered. Think about that. No other religion in the history of the world claims that God himself suffered, and yet our God did. So Saul Kami, how can we know that there is purpose in the pain? Because God himself went through the ultimate pain and found the ultimate purpose, which was your salvation, which was our salvation. So that's the story. In this Joseph story, Jesus is Joseph. So my question for you is, who are we then? If Jesus is Joseph, and I've kind of been kind of narrating it like we're Joseph the whole time, who are we? There's another character in the story. His name is Judah. If you remember back to Genesis 37, Joseph was first thrown into the pit, and it was Judah, his older brother, who sold out Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. Remember later on in the story that Judas sold Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. See, here's the reality, Saul Company. Is we're Judah and we sell out Jesus for way less than that. We sell out Jesus for a sexual moment that will gratify us in the moment that actually goes against the law that he has called us to. We sell out Jesus for a lot, far less than 20 shekels of silver. We sell him out for a beer in our hand. We sell out Jesus for far less than the money. We sell him out for the pornographic image or the lustful heart. We sell out Jesus every day with the sin of our heart. And like Judah, we were not willing to bow to the knee of Jesus. We were not willing to be some of the sheaves that would bow to the other sheep. We wanted to be the sheep that other people bow to. We wanted to be the sheep. And so instead of bowing, we killed Jesus with our sin. But here's the radical good news of Jesus. The radical grace of God is shown that Jesus himself actually didn't come from the lineage of Joseph. Now, I know that sounds confusing because we just taught Joseph. But if you actually look in Matthew chapter 1, this is so cool. Jesus chose to come from the lineage of Judah. So my question is why? 
Why come from the broken one and not the righteous one? Why come from the sinful one and not the one who was, came, who was there to save? Because he wanted Judas to know, like us, that he was loving us even in spite of our sin. See, the reason why Jesus Christ came from the line of Judah is so that Judas, like us, could come from the line of Jesus. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the connection to our lineage series. So I'll come here. The true reason why we can have hope in the midst of pain is because we believe in the one who had true hope in the midst of pain. This is Jesus, the point of the Joseph story. This is Jesus, the point of your story. Let me pray. Father, what a grace it is to know that you came from the lineage of Judah. Judah, the one that sold out Jesus for Joseph, for 20 shekels of silver. And Lord, we do that to you all the time. For far less than 20 shekels of silver, we sell out for sin, for momentary pleasure, for our own lives. But Jesus, here's what's true about us. That you came to redeem the Judas. And Judas' name is written in redemptive history. In Matthew chapter 1, Jesus, you chose to come from the lineage of Judah so that us Judas could come from your lineage. Father, I love that. And I'm thankful that we can have hope in the midst of pain. That we can have hope in the midst of suffering because Jesus Christ, you showed us that there is purpose in the pain. That as you entered onto that cross, here's what you did for us. You proved that with the ultimate pain came the ultimate purpose. And so we believe tonight, Jesus, that whatever we've been through in this room, that the promises of God are true. That the presence of God is with us and the provision of God will come. And the providence of God is writing a story for everyone in this place. A new story, a redemptive story, a hopeful story, a story with the best ending possible. Because even in this life, if we have pain, we trust that Jesus, one day we will meet you face to face. And you will wipe every tear. You'll give us the biggest hug we could ever imagine. And you'll show us that the lives that we were meant to live were to be in your arms. So Jesus, would you usher us in tonight? Would your spirit be heavy? Would we worship in thankfulness of our salvation to you? In your name we pray.